I do have a message to talk this morning. I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to preach, but we're back in the book of Galatians, and we're going to look at chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, Lord willing. And I will look at verses 12 through 20. Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. Our focus is going to be on verse 16. But Galatians chapter 4, and we'll go ahead and read verses 12 through 20. And here the Bible says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despise not, nor reject it. But receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is the blessedness you speak of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you, my little brethren, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the good spirit we've had here tonight. God, for each individual that's here. Lord, we're praying now that your word will go out and do a mighty work in our hearts. God, keep me humble out of the flesh tonight, Lord, and in your word so that your word will go out and just, just do whatever it is you want it to do tonight. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. And I apologize I didn't have a microphone turned on, but I think we've got it now. But here in Galatians, as we looked at this morning, we saw the problem that was going on in these churches that were in the region of Galatia. Now remember, it's not just one church we're dealing with. We're talking about several churches in this area of Galatia. Paul was the founder of these churches. Well, the Lord Jesus was the founder, but Paul was the one that came by and started these churches. As him, him and Barnabas went on that missionary journey, and they went all through there. Antioch had sent them out, and they were, they were preaching to all the people, and there were many people coming to Christ. And these people, they were being taught the truth, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel message, just as we explained this morning. And these churches were made up of several different types of people. One was the native people there, the Gauls. Uh, the, actually, the word Galatians comes from that. It's, uh, the, there, were, uh, there were Gauls, there were Phrygians, Jews, and Romans. Lots of different people from different backgrounds. And so they had been into a lot of things uh, these people had in these churches. And so all of this doctrine that's going around from all these different sources and from all their different experiences, Paul has to make sure that what they're learning and what they're teaching, what they're abiding by is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so he had taught them the truth of the doctrine of Christ. And no sooner had he left there, I mean, they had gotten off to a good start. He even said that you did start well, but what hindered you? They started out well, abiding by the doctrine they'd been taught by Paul. And yet these people came in behind Paul after he left and started teaching a different doctrine, which we referred to this morning as Judaizers. They were teaching you also must perform works if you want to be saved and maintain your salvation. You have to do these works, these works of the law. And Paul was saying, listen, we have got to get this straightened out. And so he spends this whole book, all six chapters of Galatians, 
speaking toward this and trying to prove to them that they have to stick to the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so what disturbed Paul most, I believe, by, by studying this text, is how easily these people were swayed from the gospel. I want to tell you today, people are easily swayed. People can hear something and, boy, they'll get swayed. They may have heard something all their life and somebody come by and say something they like to hear and they'll get swayed. Well, Paul was wanting to make sure these people don't get swayed with every wind of doctrine that comes through there because that's what's happened. And not only that, these people have turned these churches, the people in the churches, against Paul. They now despise Paul and his teachings. They had went that far and this is really, this is really a disturbed Paul. And so they've allowed these false teachers to sway the truths that Paul had taught them and even turned them against him. And he said this in the very beginning of this letter. We read it this morning. He said, I marvel that you were so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, say I now, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. And we talked this morning about how important that was and that word accursed meaning uh, someone subject to destruction. In other words, somebody comes here preaching a different gospel than the true gospel of Jesus Christ. May that person burn in hell. May they be accursed. And so Paul wants to set this record straight and denounce all the false teaching. And he wants to make sure that his preaching is not in vain. And that's why he said in, in verse 11 here in Galatians 4, I am afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon your, you labor in vain. In other words, I'm questioning you people because, listen, I've told you the truth and I, so I'm, 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 I'm worried about you. I'm afraid about this, that you've been led astray. So we pick up there in our opening text in Galatians 4 and 12. He says, brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. You've not injured me at all. Now, if you'd read all the chapters previous to this, you would have seen Paul talking about how everything was so matter of fact, straight to the point. He wasn't showing a whole lot of emotion, really. It was just straight, you know, telling them the truth and defending himself and defending the gospel. And now emotions are coming into play. Here we see, he says, I beseech you. I'm begging of you to pay attention here. And so he's making this plea and stating the facts, and he wants them to know this is personal because he loves them. He loves them. He calls them brethren. You don't call anybody that's not a Christian a brother, okay, unless it's your you know, flesh and blood brother. But uh, if you're not saved, you're not considered a brother or sister in Christ. No, not at all. And so church people, we, our church speak, we call each other brother and sister. I talk to you know, Brother Scott, I'll say Brother Scott, you know. And so we have a, a, we because we belong to the same family, we're all part of the family of God, the family of Christ. And so we call each other brother and sister. And so he's giving that, that, that uh, closeness that he has with them. They're his brethren. And so he's urging them to be like he is now fully concentrating on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he says that, for I am as ye are, he's referring to the fact that when he first came to Galatia, he became as a Galatian. He lived like a Galatian. 
He worked in a job with those in Galatia. He, he did the same things they did. He, in, he incorporated himself into their culture and into every, their everyday life. He said, I was as you, for I am as you are. And he lived among them there and became like them. That was Paul's method, by the way. Paul would go from town to town and he would just put himself right in there with everybody. It's just like when I come in here, I could, I feel like I'm just coming into home. I don't feel like I'm a stranger here. You may think I am, but I come in here and I feel completely comfortable uh, because I'm around people that I, I feel like we have a kinship. Uh, we believe in the same Bible. We believe in the same God. We believe in the same Jesus. And I, I feel totally comfortable. Now, if I go to a Catholic church or something, I'm not going to be comfortable. Okay. But when I come in here, I feel completely comfortable and I can just, we can be as we are. We can be each other. Paul would go into places and he would make himself completely comfortable, get ingrained into their culture. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, he says this. He said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might... By all means, save some, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Now, when he says that, that I might save some, he means that I may tell you about the gospel and you'll be saved. He didn't mean he was personally saving them, but by him being as they were and being in their culture and, and speaking with them on the same level, then he can relate to them and, and share with them the truth of the gospel. So when it came to Galatia, Paul had, uh, to order to, to win them to Christ, he became... A Galatian, <laughs> yeah, and so uh, he he wants them to be free of this this Judaizer way of of thinking, um, and they had come in here preaching this different gospel. Now look at uh, the next part of verse twelve. He said, "You've not injured me at all." When Paul was there living with them and preaching and teaching with them, they didn't come against Paul. In fact, they embraced Paul. They loved Paul, and he even tells them that. Uh, uh, verse 13, he says, You know how through infirmity of my flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. That's how much they love Paul. You remember, guys, when I was there with you and, and I was teaching you all this doctrine? How much you loved me. You treated me like you would have talk, talk, or treated Christ himself. I mean, I didn't get any better treatment. And some of you would have plucked out your own eyes. You know my eye problem. It's believed Paul had an eye problem. And that's why he's mentioning this. He, he, I don't know what it was. He couldn't, he couldn't see well or, or if it's some kind of infection that he always kept in his eyes or what it was. But he, that's what he's talking about. He said, my temptation and my flesh that you despise not. In other words, you didn't sit down there and look at me with, with horror on your face when I come and teach and preach to you. No, you love me so much. You'd been willing to pull your own eyeball out and give it to me if it would have made me better. That's how much we loved each other. And so listen, I tell you what, people are very fickle. Uh, we see here in this case, he's talking about, you used to love me that much, but now these people are not like that. These people have completely turned now that they've been infiltrated by these Judaizers and believe in a different gospel, and now they would like to pluck his eyes out. And uh, listen, my grandfather, preacher Ed Spencer, back, he was a pastor back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, 
And uh, he died in the 70s, uh, but uh, he was a great pastor in this area all over Knoxville. And he, pastored, he was pastoring a church, and he said that they were having a special day. It was a day where they had all these flowers and pins, and they were going to pin a flower. Uh, if you love somebody, you'd pin a flower on them. He said by the end of the service, he had flowers pinned from toe to the top of his head all over him. And he said he left that day feeling like the most loved pastor in all the world and was just walking on the top of the world because it was the best church and people loved him. He said a week later, those same people wanted to pull those pins out and stick them in him. That quick, people can change on you. You can say something that somebody don't like and the next thing you know, you've become their enemy. That's what's happened here with Paul. Paul is so upset about this. He, he, listen to what he said in, in uh, the previous chapter, Galatians 3, 1 through 3. He said, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only what I learned of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, he's saying, so you mean to tell me that you said you believed that the Spirit, you were saved by the Spirit, by God's grace through faith, but now you're saying you're saved through your flesh? You're saying now you can perform some kind of work and be saved? Is that what you're telling me? Are you that foolish? And listen, that's some strong language coming from Paul. These are people he loved, I'm telling you. And he's trying to wake them up. Sometimes you've got to wake people up because people will go off into a slumber. And friends, listen, this is not nothing new. It's been going on ever since religion has been on this earth. It's the way it's been. And uh, people have a natural tendency to stray from the truth into, into false doctrine. It's a natural tendency. That's our flesh. Our flesh pulls us away from the spiritual things and wants us to grasp onto things that are not spiritual, things that are not true. Uh, I've watched it happen over and over again. In Paul's case, in these Galatians, it was over their flesh wanting them to believe that they could do something to be saved or to, be, or to stay saved. He's saying, this is the most foolish thing I've ever heard. I mean, just having faith in Christ, they're, they're saying, just having faith in Christ is all it's going to take. Nope, we don't believe that anymore, Paul, because we've been told different. So here it is, look at it, verse 16. This is where, where we're going to put our focus. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And so it begins. When you begin allowing something into your life that you know is not right, but you love it so much, you're going to go ahead and allow it to continue. And when somebody says something about it, something against you, maybe make mention of it, you get offended. And instead of doing what's right and standing on the authority of God's word, you want to raise up. You want to you be like one of them little baney chickens. You know, rare you had them. We used to have them baney chickens. They run all over the yard. I couldn't stand those things. But that's the way that, that people do. When you catch them in what they're doing wrong, and they know they're wrong, but yet they're not going to stand on the authority of God's word and repent of it. They want to keep doing it. So what are they going to do? They have now made you their enemy. You've become their enemy. That's what's happened here. And I can tell you by personal experience that people will love you as long as you tell them what they want to hear. As long as you don't touch on their little sin, or a big sin, 
their personal sin, that sin that so easily besets them, as long as you don't start getting particular on it. Now, you can dance all around it. You can say things that kind of skirt around it and kind of make mention here and there and just throw in little things, and it won't bother them too bad. But when you get right down in the nitty-gritty and, boy, you just let them have it and tell them about it, they're going to get mad. I could preach all day long on somebody else's sin, and you know what I'm going to get? Amen, brother, that's right right there. But I'll preach on your sin, and you're going to get mad. I'm going to become your enemy. You're going to swell up. You're going to, okay, I can't believe he said that. But I preach on something else somebody else is doing. That's right, Brother Byron. Boy, they needed to hear that, didn't they? Hey, that's the way it is. I can preach all day long on stuff like that, and I'll become somebody's enemy. I can preach on being a joyful giver. I'm fixing to make somebody mad. I can preach on being a joyful giver. That's right, Brother Byron. The Lord loves a joyful giver. I believe in it. But if I tell you that you're sinning because you don't tithe 10% to the church, you're going to get mad at me. I'm going to become your enemy. You're going to say, no, that was, that was part of the, the law. That was part of the Jewish law. Mm, no, I'm sorry. That's before the law. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Way before the law was ever instituted. Jesus told the Pharisees they did well by giving their tithe. Uh, the tithe is still part of it, the 10%. If you're not giving 10% to the church, friends, I'm telling you, you're in the wrong. And now I've just become somebody's enemy. Because somebody don't like to tithe. People don't want to do it. They don't want to hear about it. They want that preacher to get up and say, well, you know, the New Testament doesn't really say anything about tithing, so it's not really binding anymore. And so that's what they want to hear. And so I've become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Uh, listen, I can preach on drugs and the sins of drugs and, and drug addicts and crack addicts and all that stuff. And you'll say, that's right, Brother Byron, that's bad stuff. What sinful activity right there. But if I start talking about on social drinking, somebody getting a little bit of wine with their meal, somebody going to the restaurant and they're with the, the work crowd and, and they, they order them a beer, I'm going to get somebody mad. I'm going to become somebody's enemy because they say, well, now, Brother Byron, I'm not a drunk. I don't, you know, and the Bible really doesn't touch on stuff like that. I want to tell you right now. Proverbs 21 says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. There's nothing wise in Budweiser. I want to tell you that right now. And you may say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. I just, I just get it, and I drink it, and I don't hurt him. I don't go driving. I don't do anything like that. Oh, come on now. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Mm. I can preach about the sin of idolatry. That's right, Brother Byron. Lord don't want no idols. I tell you what, if you put anything before God, it's, it's an idol. That's right, amen, no idols. But if I say, well, listen, if you're letting your kid attend their volleyball practice and their baseball practice and uh, football practice on Sunday while church is in, going on, I'm going to become your enemy. Because your little darling is going to be a, a major league baseball player one day. They're going to be number one in, on the soccer field. And, you know, they only practice during church time. And we've got, to do, we've got tournaments over in Murfreesboro on Sunday. We've got to go to those. I'm going to become your enemy when I tell you that's wrong. I'm going to become somebody's enemy. I'm going to tell you, oh, yeah, idolatry is wrong, Brother Byron. But I'm going to stay home this Sunday because, you know, the... the the final chase race is on, and I don't want to miss that NASCAR race. I turned it off right before I left the house, friends. Uh, listen, I, somebody's going to get mad at me, and I'm going to become their enemy because I'm telling them the truth. I can preach against the sin of murder. 
That's right. Murder is bad. Boy, we know that. Thou shalt not kill, Brother Byron. That's the truth right there. But if I start preaching on the sanctity of life and the sin of abortion, somebody is going to get really mad at me because they've, they've done it. They know somebody. Their daughter's done it. Somebody they love's done it. And so if I start preaching on that, somebody's, I'm going to become somebody's enemy. It's my body. Why ain't your body the one that dies when you have an abortion? It's legal in the United States. Well, there's a lot of things legal in the United States that God says an abomination. An abomination. If I preach hot and heavy against sin and sexual perversion and wickedness, that's right, Brother Byron. We don't want any of that nasty, filthy stuff around here. You, you're right. But if I start preaching against LGBT plus Q, now this is language I don't even like to hear myself. But it's, friends, we gotta, we got to understand it's the truth. If I start preaching against that, man with man, women with women, Brother Byron, now that's legal in the United States. They can get married. It's not legal in God's eyes. They're not married. God says that's an abomination. I can point out in the Bible where the Bible condemns sodomites, man-laying with mankind, effeminates, those that dishonor their bodies between themselves. The Bible says those are all an abomination, and God hates those things. And the Bible says those will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. But I've become your enemy because I've told you the truth. I can preach all day long about messages on why I believe the King James Bible is the perfect English translation of the Bible and the only one that English-speaking people ought to use. And I can prove it. I can get the other Bibles and I can lay them out here and I can show you what these Bibles have taken out, what they've added, what they've, they've changed. I can show you all that and compare it to the King James and prove to you the truth. And somebody's going to get mad at me because their favorite preacher uses a different version. And I love him. I watch him on TV all the time. He, he uses that ESV version. Or he uses the new King James version. Ouch! Somebody just got, got hit right there. The new King James Version. Brother Byron, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just been, been fixed up a little bit, so it's a little easier to understand. Well, why don't you go ask your favorite new King James Version Bible preacher why they made over 100,000 changes in the text. Ask him why they took out his, uh, the word blood 23 times, the word hell 22 times, the word repent 55 times, the word heaven 50 times, the name God 51 times, the word Lord 66 times, and ask him why they completely removed the words devils, damnation, and Jehovah from the, King James, the new King James Version of the Bible. Ask him why the little symbol on the front of the new King James Bible looks like a 666 symbol. Mm. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Well, Brother Byron, what does any of that matter? As long as somebody gets saved from that Bible, it doesn't matter. I'll grant you, if the Lord Jesus, if the Holy Spirit guides you to be saved, He can save you out of any of those perverted Bibles, if it's His will to do. But if you're wanting to study the, the Word of God and know the truth of the Word of God, you better get the translation that's the truth, the one that's not been altered and changed and 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 took all the, the, uh, the, the sex out of it. Now they, they don't want to claim that God's a he anymore. These new versions now, they, they've, they've taken out the he and she and everything. They want to make them what, neutral, gender neutral. Mm, I've got somebody mad. 
If I become your enemy because I tell you the truth, listen, you can get saved by reading the Bible track. God can save you any way that he wants to. But I want you to know you better be sure of which Bible version that you are studying and reading because you'll be misled by some of these versions that's out there. Listen, I can stand here and do this all night long. I really could. The truth is, everybody wants you to agree with them no matter what. If it's right or wrong, they want you to agree. But as soon as you disagree on some point of what they love, you are going to become their enemy. You most certainly will. You'll be their enemy because they've told you the truth. Listen, verse 17 goes on to say, They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. <laughs> the people of, of the churches of Galatia had been courted by these Judaizers. They were doing everything in their power to get them on their side. It's important to them. They want to sway all the opinions of all these New Testament churches so they can push this gospel that Paul's preaching out of here. They hated Paul. People hate Paul today because he tells them the truth. And so Paul said they did this zealously. In other words, they did everything in their power to convince you of this false teaching, this lie of a works-based salvation, of keeping the law and uh, grace through faith. They didn't care about your soul. That's what he's telling them. He said they, uh, they would well exclude you that it might affect them. In other words, if it's going to affect what they're doing and their cause, they'll exclude you from it. They'll push you plumb out of the church if you come up against them. That's how much they're, they're, uh, they hate you and hate this truth. So that's why Paul said in the next chapter over in Galatians 5, 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Uh, Paul was always using those analogies of a runner. Uh, that, the, the Olympic games was big back then. They started back there in, their, you know, in those Greek and Romans. They played those games. He would say things like uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. Philippians 3, 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. All these have these mental thoughts of these Olympic runners and things. And so Paul used this in his teaching to get, get the, uh, the, the, the point over to them because it was so ingrained in their culture. These people were in that culture all the time. And so these Galatians had allowed the false teachers to interrupt their race. He said, boy, you used to run well. I remember when you used to go and, and grab the prize. You would, you would get that baton and keep running. They would crown you. That's the way you used to be. But now you know what? You're not running too good. Who has hindered your run? Who's keeping you in last place? Because if you're not, if you're not uh, on the truth of the gospel, you are in the last place. And so, verse 18, he says, But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. And so Paul's, of course, saying, that, you know, it's good, zealous, to be zealous is good, as long as it's a good thing. What the, this zealous that's going on right now is not good, it's bad. It's very bad. And uh, so these Judaizers were demonstrating what was contrary to the gospel. This morning our message was those gospel perverts, those that... Uh, change the truth into a lie and so then he gives them a, a little jab here he says and not only when i'm present with you <laughs> you know that's the way some people are oh they're walking the walk as long as you're around you know it's like when the boss comes in boss comes in we're all oh, working how's it going oh it's great you know getting quota everything boss goes out the door 
man, I didn't think he's ever going to leave. <laughs> Let's play ball. <laughs> yeah. And Paul's saying, listen, it's good to be zealous for a good thing and not just when I'm around. In other words, you, you, shouldn't all, you should always have the truth with you, not just when somebody's come around questioning you about it. Verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That loving term, my little children, that's Paul showing them. He says, I'm only telling you this because I love you. Why do we whip our children when they do wrong? Because we love them. If we didn't love them, we just let them do whatever they wanted to do. You know, some people say, well, I can't whip my child. I love them too much. Well, you must not. When I see my kid going over to stick his finger in a light socket, you better believe I'm going to love him enough to smack that hand plumb off his arm. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get in that light socket, son. Oh, I love him so much, I'm just going to let him get shocked. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> if you love somebody, you're going to set them straight. You won't give them the truth, whether it hurts or not. Listen, sometimes the truth hurts. And that's what's happening here. Paul is having to turn these people completely back around and get them back on the right track. It's not going to be easy. Verse 20, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. What an awful thing to hear. Our former leader, Paul, Paul, he's in doubt of us now. From what we've been doing, what we've allowed to go on in this place, and this, these people we've allowed to come in here and teach us this false doctrine, Paul is in doubt of us. We've got to do something, friends. He wanted to go back there to Galatians so bad and be with them and get them back on the right track of the gospel so that he could change his voice. In other words, instead of this stern voice he's using right now in this letter, you know, asking them, you know, what hindered you and fool it, you're foolish and everything else. I want to change the way I'm speaking. I want to change my, my way of, of treating you. I want to come back like a father would, little children. That's what he wanted to do. Listen, church, if it can happen to a church that the Apostle Paul started, one that he nurtured, one that he got off the ground in the truth of the gospel, if it could happen to them, don't think for a second it couldn't happen to you. It can happen everywhere. I've watched it happen. I know churches that used to be good, fundamental Baptist churches. Boy, they stood on the truth, and there were, they wouldn't allow anything in the door. You go in there now, and it's like a different place. They've allowed everything in the door. Come as you are and leave as you were. As long as you're putting money in the offering plate, that's all we care about. Oh, you live in that kind of lifestyle? That's okay. We just won't talk about it. We'll ask some of these real popular preachers on TV about certain sins. I've I seen them on the interview. What do, you, what do you say about this? Oh, we just don't talk about that. No, we don't cover that subject. Have I become your enemy because I've told you the truth? Friends, I hope that we all understand that the words of, of God, these words in our Bible, are the truth. And any time we go contrary to what's in this word, we are at fault. We are in sin. We're slipping off into apostasy. And we're going to be hindered in our race. We're going to be foolish like these Galatians Paul was talking about. Stand on the word of God. If you're the last person standing, stand on the word of God. If they come into this church and they put a gun right in your face and they say, deny what's in this word. Friends, don't deny what's in this word. Stand there and say, 
be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. That day could possibly come one day, friends. Let's stand on the truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message tonight. Lord, we know it's been rough. God, your word is the truth. And God, we must stand on the truth, regardless of what the world says, what popular culture says, what popular law says. God, whatever's in your word is what we've got to stand on. I'm praying for each person that's in this building tonight. God, thank you for them. Lord, they're precious. Lord, I know you love them, God. Let's keep them on the right track, God. Keep me on the right track, God. My church, the one I pastor. God, keep us all fighting the fight, standing on the truth. And God, not making enemies out of those that stand up for it. Help us here tonight, Father. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen.